humans, welcome to Palin' Around, the official Uppercut podcast. Here we'll be focusing on video games, fandom, pop culture, and how they all interact with the internet. My name is Caitlin, and joining me for the first time in a while, actually, is the uh, main half of the uh, Curse Mark Ruffalo fan club, one Jessica Cogswell. I'm not even one half anymore. I am the main half, which I don't know how that works, but I love it, so thank you. You're half prime. <laughs> half prime. I am the alpha, which is, like, hilarious because I am the most beta bitch who ever beta bitched. I have be text messages with you arguing me about whether or not you top that say different, so. Okay, you know, sexually things get a little bit weird, but and this is the start of a podcast. Boom. Well, you know, it's like, it's like Richiko and Misato, as I was arguing on YouTube. Really on YouTube. Exactly. Like, Twitter. Yeah. I thought you were just in the comments of someone's video essay, like just going hard. <laughs> Look, I should start doing that because that's apparently where all of the action about me takes place these days. So. <clears throat> Everybody knows YouTube is the place to go for uh, discourse. Yeah, YouTube is a dark and cursed place, and I'm glad that we rarely go there. Yup. Yeah, but Misato is clearly, like, you know, presents as the alpha, but she is the total pillow princess in that relationship. I agree with that. I feel like I'm the opposite, but I love Misato. She's great. I, that one tweet that you had about them the other, was it yesterday, idea? I just, like, screamed. The wine yes. glass? In the wine glass? Screamed. It was so good. <laughs> I was like, yes! It was so good! <laughs> Finally, I feel seen. Um, like, we should. That's intru- the other day I was saying, like, how come no one has talked about like Ritsuko and um, oh god, what's her name? Maya, the one like her assistant. Yeah, that shit's real gay. Mm. Uh, literally, like when like at the end, like shows up and it's like typing and it's, like, okay, yo, super gay. Nah, Not even nah. like subtext, text. They're just cousins, you guys. <laughs> Kissing cousins, a fucking family. Just cousins. Um, also, uh, <laughs> now that Dia and I have had our fucking evangelity in corner, um, Dia Lucina is also joining us today. <laughs> Yay! Hi! Um, Dia, if people are somehow not familiar with you, um, do you want to tell people who you are and what you do? Yeah, I am a game critic that used to write for, like, Waypoint and Polygon, and now I largely write for Paste. Um, I also am the founding editor of Capsule Crit, which is a micro-criticism and general micro-fiction, poetry, etc. website devoted to gaming. Um, it'll come back. I swear to God, it'll come back. We're just on a hiatus. It's been a year. Okay? I yeah, believe. I believe too. You can find that at capsulecrit.com. There's some good shit in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I have like, it's really sad too because I have just like, it has just been such a fucking year and I have like, I'm just like sitting on all of these really good pieces and I'm just like, I will get back to you, I promise. Please don't pull your pieces while I'm dealing with my shit. Yeah, no, we, we feel you on that. Um, I don't. <laughs> this has been like the year of dealing with shit. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then y- y'all just decide it could be like, yo, we're uppercut now. What up? Coming out swinging. Literally. <laughs> not really. Literally. What did but... I, I told I yeah. told Chris this the other day on Twitter. I was like, my only skill is fighting, which is why we're called uppercut. And that's <laughs> why. Um, yeah. 
You know what's, like, really cool, though, about the rebrand is, like, Uppercut was literally the first and only idea, and you pitched it, and everybody was just like, fuck. Like, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. It wasn't even, like, there was this brainstorm, like, process. It was just like, oh, shit. Yeah, like, that is what it is, which is pretty neat. I'm just glad we pulled it off, because that shit was very impromptu. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit. I'm pro- it happens. Um, so the reason that we brought Dia on today, aside from her just being great generally, is, um, we're going to talk about, uh, games that depict mental health and, like, trauma, that kind of thing, and, um, you know, how we feel about them, what we think they're doing right and wrong, and, uh, Dia has, uh, written on this before and obviously has strong feelings on it, so we thought she'd be probably one of the better, if not the best people to have on to talk about it. Hell yeah. Woo! Thank you for having me. I am super psyched to talk about mental illness in video games. Yeah, we're super psyched. We're so excited to have you on. With you specifically. Like, like, it's a big ask. And I was just like, you know what? Yeah, I will. (laughs) I will do this with y'all. This is so cool. like, no one else. Yeah, I definitely, when I, when I asked Jess about it, I was like, I was like, Jess, should we do this? And she was like, yeah, why not? And I was like, cool, I guess we're going to shoot a shot. It was like, I don't know. I was like, this is just like too good of a topic and we just, we need, we need the big guns and Dia, you are the big guns. So I was like, we just got to go for it. (laughs) But I'm really excited. I think this is going to be really cool. Um, We all, I feel like all three of us are vocal about like our mental illnesses or just like different struggles and it, it means a lot to all of us. So yeah, it's cool to to be doing this with both of you. Yeah, so I don't really know where to start with this. Um, yeah, there's. I guess we could talk about just like games that have done it, or let like, or let like market themselves about it. Because I always feel kind of weird about those. Yeah, honestly, like, have, well, okay. So here's my my talking point that I'll like first throw out here because this is when like. I don't know. I started kind of being super grossed out by the idea of like sanity meters and stuff like that in games. Um, and actually, no, it's always been something that's kind of sat like weird with me. But I remember I started getting a whole bunch of emails for PAX East um, before we went out there. And it was like right when I started actually doing more like games writing is when I joined Irrational Passions and stuff. And like you decided, you know, I was going to start writing for at the time your geeky gal pal. Um, but there's this one game and I can't even remember what the name of the game was now, but just like every single time I got an email from this dev, um, talking about like, you know, make an appointment to to come see us or whatever. Like they just kept talking about how like this game uses sanity meters and like, it's really, um, progressive in terms of like how it, how it views mental health and like, make sure you keep your people like, you know, not crazy or else bad things will happen to you. And I was like, whoa, this seems like really fucked up. And I kind of almost want to go now because I feel like I'm going to see this game and just be horrified. <laughs> so I don't know. Also, isn't that just the pitch of Darkest Dungeon? Basically, I think Darkest Dungeon, like, even, like, the way that they talked about it handled it a bit better than this other game, though. This one might have been, like, it was it was something having to do with, like, war, of course, or, like, military 
conquest. I don't know. But, um, but no, I just, I got emails from these people, like, every single week, and the way that they talked about it, like, you could tell they were, like, they're patting themselves on the back so hard, um, but it was, like, really fucked up sounding, um, I don't know, and it really, it sat so weird with me, and, like, I've always, you know, I remember playing D&D a long time ago, too, and, like, uh, there was somebody who was doing, like, of course, it was, like, a Lovecraft-type, you know, theme that was was going on during the campaign i'm really tired today so like if if i'm i don't even know just excuse my <laughs> my my vocabulary um but uh and like they they had a a sanity meter in the game too and i remember being like mm, this is kind of maybe interesting but also weird and that was like probably 10 years ago i don't know it's weird so yeah sanity <laughs> meters that was what i was gonna say Yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's, it's always been the, like, you know, how do we gamify, like, mm. how do we gamify, it's really, it's, let's be real, it's how do we gamify Cthulhu, mm. and that's the place where everyone is operating from, like, mm. because everyone grew up on the, oh, you know, even if you, like, if you, you know, people encounter just like a little bit out of the corner and they get really unnerved and they encounter more and then they get real fucked up. And then, oh, next thing you know, they end up in an asylum. And it's like, yeah. okay, you know, fuck you. We've all read fucking Cthulhu, like Lovecraft. Yeah. Get better short fiction in your life, please, for love of God. Um, and so then, like, when they're looking to, you know, Joe, I want to I replicate that in my game. It's just like, well, how do you do that? You put a fucking bar with numbers on it. And, like, I get it. It's easy. It's like, oh, if you see the thing, then, like, you get plus five. If you see more of the thing, you get plus ten. Okay. I mean, the big problem there is, one, mental illness doesn't work that way. Like, at all. Like. Yeah. It's not something that can just be quantified. Yeah, and it's not it's, like it's, like, this linear, you know. And it, it's funny because. When I was in college, I took one of my, my abnormal psych professors. His, he got into psychology because he was like, I wanted to quantify the human psyche. I wanted to do for what we had in chemistry because he like switched his doctorate from chemistry to psych. He was like, I wanted to apply chemistry to psychology. And he, he died never having even come close to achieving that and being like, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like you know, trying to slap a meter on, like, a bunch of white dudes trying to slap a meter on it when every time you see a tentacle monster out of the corner of your eye in a first-person shooter, <laughs> not gonna fucking work. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's, like, a good segue into, like, one of the things that, like, I guess has been bugging me, like, doing the <laughs> research and thinking about this is just, like, the idea of gamifying mental illness is kind of weird to me. Like, on the one hand, I get it as, like, games are an art form just like any other kind of media or whatever so like it makes sense that people want to tackle it but on the other hand I'm like adding those like mechanical hooks to it seems really weird to me and I just feel like I don't know if there's a way to do it that doesn't suck yeah like it always makes me think of um god okay we're gonna we're gonna have to bring up David Cage um but uh Indigo Prophecy uh also known as was it was Fahrenheit everywhere else um that was like when you when you like first started there's the whole kind of david cage i'm gonna pitch to you i'm gonna give you the artist statement about my fucking game and like that one was like you know 
the idea was to make the players experience what the their avatars were experiencing. So, like, in the one sequence where you have to hold on to a helicopter as it's flying away, you're basically just mashing the shoulder buttons for, like, five minutes straight until your forearms burn. And it's not effective or interesting, but, like, even that one was, like, you know... It was like, okay, I'm going to try and make this happen. And then for mental illness, it's still like, well, oh, you know, oh, the, the psyche, it, it's complicated. I'm David Cage. I I put a, a fear meter in my game. And, like, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, when you hit your threshold in that, the your character literally kills themselves. Jeez. Like... Jeez. That's if I remember correctly, it's it's a game over. Um, and at least one of the characters, when they hit that state, uh, it is like, it's like, you couldn't deal with it anymore. You killed yourself. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what the fuck is wrong with you? One, I mean, I guess we know now, but um, <laughs> it's like trying to make mechanics for that. Like, I guess I understand the impulse to do it but I don't know I don't know that this straight gamification works for it like just yeah well and that's what I've been kind of thinking about is like I the best depictions of like mental health and like trauma I've seen have been in like twine games and like or like some um some TTRPGs do like a decent job of it, I feel like, or at least better of like showing like, hey, like when you like yeah, it's still a point system, but like when you hit X points, like you don't kill yourself or you don't go crazy. Like you just are like, Oh, you have like what's the like the blades in the dark thing with like vices and stuff like that. Like I think that works at least marginally better because it's the idea of like, yeah, you do this stuff to decompress but if you do too much it can have negative consequences it doesn't mean you're gonna like fucking off yourself but yeah. different like traumas and stuff have an effect on your life after mm-hmm. you and like you know i think that. you know thinking about like darkest dungeon um that's exactly, that's exactly what i was gonna yeah, say yeah <laughs> like that's that's an interesting one because it's not great like it's not great. It does the sanity meter thing, and when you fill up your sanity meter, it goes boom, and your head explodes, and you know, now you're gonna get like a weird trait. Um, but I think, I mean, what I find interesting about that is, you know, in theory, all of your party members are experiencing the same kind of, you know, stimulus. You're, they're they're in the same environment, you know, all witnessing the same mm-hmm. shit, and it's just like they're all having different levels of reaction to it which is that, like, to me, I'm like, okay, yes, like, we all have different, like, you know, reactions to various, like, you know, stressful stimuli, and then it manifests in weird and unpredictable ways. Like, you know, no one expected that, like, you know, the the, the highwayman, like, seeing, like, the person in front of them get slaughtered would suddenly become you know, a nymphomaniac, (laughs) but like, or like become incredibly sadistic or like all of these various adjectives that like they then apply to the character who is suddenly like, you know, like with, you know, withstain this, this trauma. Um, 
And so it gets gross at places. And like, I kind of still like can't completely get behind the concept, but I think there's the roguelike elements of it actually make it more palatable than if it was just kind of, you know, like everyone else does and just kind of a, here's a straight outcome. Like, you know, you get overly traumatized, Mm -hmm. you die. You get overly traumatized. Oh, your character gets committed. No, it's like no, like they they got they 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 got some weird problems dealing with with what's going on with them now, and yeah. there yeah. are ways in which that can be dealt with, and you know, or you can send it back out in the field and it won't work so good. But like, at least it's interesting they thought that far ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of manifests into, like, what their favorite, like, coping mechanism becomes. Because it's like, you know, if you end up becoming a nymphomaniac, you spend your time in the brothel when you're back in town. Like, if you um, are somebody who who needs to gamble, I forget what they the term is that they use in the game um you know that's that's what you do and like that's the way that you you decompress and you're ready for (laughs) going back out there and so it's interesting it's definitely like yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's still like there's that ickiness there, but I feel like it's a lot less so than maybe other games. And I think, I mean, the other thing is, I don't think, you know, it really doesn't pitch itself as we're modeling sanity. Um, it's just kind of like we're dealing with, you know, again, Cthulhu bullshit and. Mm. like this is an aspect of it how can we best incorporate that into our game which is a roguelike you know is incredibly like you know intentionally like kind of brutal and unforgiving and edgelordy and going in knowing that you know so it's 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 surprising that like they do a better job than like something like hellblade which is the we want to win the touchy feely award of the year. Yeah, and like that's I think what threw me off when I talked about those PAX emails with the other one is because it's it definitely seemed akin to Darkest Dungeon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like with what they were doing, but like Darkest Dungeon didn't pitch itself as that. It wasn't like hey, like we looked into a whole bunch of like mental health. Um, you know, like we we talked to mental health professionals and we talked to people who are dealing with these symptoms, and you know this is this is what we've created. It's like. Mm. <laughs> whereas like this was the talking point for that game like this is what they were proudly boasting this was the the first paragraph of every email was talking about this and i'm like i think this is gonna blow up in your face i definitely am worried we're going to see more <laughs> of that um mm-hmm. especially because fucking hellblade won every goddamn award mm-hmm. and like everyone mm-hmm. like gave it the big old neurotypical circle jerk in the gaming, you know, journalism community. So, like, it's... Now that's a, a model for success. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can mm-hmm. be... You can make the violent edgelord game and, like, do all the weird shit about mental illness you want, and you can get a BAFTA. Mm-hmm. As long as you come mm-hmm. out saying, like, you know, oh, we're really, like, trying to, like, get people to, like, think about mental illness and raise awareness. And it's really engaged. Yeah, and that's, that's like, what's been kind of bothering me about the, like, trend of games that have been trying to address this stuff, like, as the pitch. Like, I, 
a while ago on my private Twitter, I was like, why does everybody like Celeste aside from the fact that it's like capital A, capital D about depression? Like, I, and I haven't played it, so that's, you know, that's on me because I'm a fake gamer. But um, it just, there seems to be this like trend, especially recently, of like Celeste and then Gree and then Sea of Solitude, Hellblade, like, all these games that are about it, and, like, I don't want to be, I guess, like, no, I do want to be cynical, because I am cynical, but, like, (laughs) it just, it just, I don't know, like, it skews me out a little bit, and, like, I don't want to, like, shade the creator's intentions necessarily, but, like, I don't know, it just, there's something about it that feels kind of sketch to me, and, like, that it is kind of reaching for that, like, games for impact fucking Mm. award and i don't know like it feels weird to me no it's like i just had a conversation with a friend um you know this is like a little bit different because we were talking about fucking 13 reasons why um and how that show just really bothers me (laughs) for obvious reasons um but it kind of it, it ties into this because like there's a difference between representation and showcasing and a lot of times it starts to feel like showcasing and that was something, Dia, in your piece that you wrote about Hellblade that you even kind of talked about a little bit. It's like, who who is the audience here? Like, who is this for? And I feel like a lot of times these games are made and maybe the people making it, I don't know, they're just, they're just trying to get to the, the most amount of people so they don't necessarily think about like that line between the two. And so you make a game that kind of feels awkward for people who are actually living this. Um. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, and like I, I think a lot about like the origin of these games. Like, um, even Ninja Theory, mm-hmm. they openly state in the feature at that like is packaged right under their fucking title menu. Um, that game was not designed to go into about mental health at all. It wasn't supposed to be a game about mental illness. It was an edgelord action adventure game about like, Ooh, what if you were like, you know, shifting between worlds or some shit like that. And it's like, uh, huh. and then along the way they were like, Oh, what if it was like about mental illness and psychosis? And then it's like, and then, and then it's like, Oh, well we should probably go talk to some people so that we can do it right. And then they end up at mm-hmm. like the, Oh, you know, this is going to be the empathy game. It's going to be the, the like double A empathy game from the little indie indie studio that could, and it's gonna be so great, y'all. And like, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about these games, Gree, Celeste, Hellblade, um, like if I remember correctly, Gree was not like. I mean, first of all, it's the most like kind of just amorphous look at like trauma question mark um because there's no there there it's you know oh this girl is sad look at the environment it's the environment is sad okay um celeste i never got around to playing but if i recall correctly from people telling you that it was basically like punishing mountain is like mental illness and struggle for wellness um 
because I know I do a lot of platforming in my day-to-day life with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Why are all of these games fucking platformers? It makes me so mad. <laughs> like, I just finished Gree today, and, like, for this, and, like, I was just, I walked away so mad, not because the game is, like, bad, because it's fine, but, like, I was like, why does every fucking game about mental health have to be a goddamn platformer? I'm so mad. Platformers yeah. are puzzle-based games, I feel like. It's it's one of the two, so. um, Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. I, like, I think that I'm probably the resident, like, non-cynical person right now. <laughs> so, uh, in being that, I will say that, I don't know, I feel like there's definitely good intentions in these. Um, but it doesn't always manifest properly, and it, I don't know, it's... It's hard. And, like, I like Hellblade. <laughs> I will say that. You know, like, I actually, I really do. But, like, that doesn't mean that all of the points, Dia, that you've made in your article and just even on this, like, the podcast today, like, aren't incredibly valid. I think the biggest thing for me is, like, uh, for me, Hellblade is, like, kind of the first game I ever played that tackled the issues of, like, having an intense fear of abandonment. <laughs> Which is, like, something that I've realized, like, with therapy and stuff like that and, you know, psychiatrist visits. Like, that's definitely, like, a really big part of my mental illness. Um, You know, for a while I was diagnosed bipolar and, uh, like, basically next week it's it's being finalized. But they think that that was a misdiagnosis. Um, I had, like, lab work done and a bunch of visits. And it looks like it's actually a BPD or borderline personality disorder. And a huge part of that is um, is just, like, fear of an abandonment and, and your relationships with people and, like, kind of how you view people, which is generally, like – all all good or all bad with like nothing in the middle um and you tend to put people on pedestals and stuff so for me like seeing Senua's journey of like she had this one person who she put on a pedestal Dillian um and to to lose that person and to have to kind of go through processing that it it really hit home for me and I don't know. It's it, it, like that could be something to where like if somebody's going through something similar and they like lose somebody who meant that much to them, um maybe that would be incredibly traumatic because maybe it's not handled in the best way, best way. Um but I guess for me it just really resonated. That's something that I kind of deal with are those feelings. So like I would I you know, um personally like Hellblade was just shy of like an affront unto God to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I thought they came from a gross place with gross execution and follow up. Mm-hmm. And they, um, and quite frankly, I thought the game mechanically was bullshit. Um, I, agree. I, agree. Mm. I agree. I agree. I fucking hated playing that game. And I actually, I, I kind of want to go into like why the game was mechanically bullshit in a second. But I want to finish it, but like, I like if people get stuff out of Hellblade, like mm-hmm. go for it. Like if like it resonates with you, awesome. Um, uh, writer Sam Greer wrote a really wonderful piece about her experience with Hellblade that is totally counter to mine. Um, and like I think it's like probably one of the better pieces mm-hmm. of games criticism about it. Like 
you know, absolutely, like, if you get something out of it, cool. Like, that, that rocks. I am more concerned less about... Um, with games like Hellblade, I'm less concerned with people's mm-hmm. personal responses to it um, and than I am what these developers are doing and what they are communicating to mm-hmm. the broader industry and to broader player bases. Um, and then I'm concerned with things like, you know, the number of people who have, like, basically said, like, I totally understand my friend because of Oof, playing this yeah. game now. And I'm like, Oof, yeah. I'm like, do you, do you really? Because I don't think you do because you said a lot of really gross things in your response about how mm. you understand them now. Well, I mean, even just like the implication that like, ah, I played this, I get them. It's like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you you don't. <laughs> you know, it's like I said my piece, you've never tried to go to the grocery store, you know, dealing with the shit that like yeah. Senua deals with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think like that's part of what gets me about the games that are pitched like as these games. Because I was like, to Jess's point, like I think there are definitely things to be got out of those experiences. But when like, but like what Jess, like what you got out of the game is not like the pitch of the game. Right? No. No. Yeah. Like that comes from like they right. they did some character work for Senua, mm-hmm. and so she like has like a real issue that people mm-hmm. deal with. And, like, is kind of sort of a person in that way. But, like, that's not the pitch of the game. And, like, that's not necessarily what... Not that, like, author intent matters all that much. But, like, that's not, like, what, when they were, like, yeah, people are going to play this game and get something from it. Like, that's not what it was. Mm-hmm. And so, it like, I don't know. It is kind of weird and squicky to me when these games are, like, yeah, this is, like, about depression or about psychosis or whatever. And then, like, then they're, like, that's the big takeaway. And it's, like, well, you're kind of obscuring the other parts of your game that, like could actually be more impactful maybe mm. and like i don't know it's just because on the other hand i don't like how vague three is like i don't it's a game about nothing that they dressed as something and it's frustrating to me on that regard too but i feel like there's a happy medium of like night in the woods kind of accomplishes for me where they mm-hmm. didn't pitch that game as like being about mental illness but like it's a big part of it and it's kind of left to you to figure out, you know, what May is experiencing and all of that. But like her mental health is, is a big part of it. And like, there are takeaways there, but I don't know. I just, there's something about these prestige games that get pitched specifically in one way that kind of like mm-hmm. doesn't sit well with. Me. Well, and like, that's the thing with like, with like night in the woods, night in the woods fulfills my problem with Hellblade. It is, it is, you know, it, that's, that's the counter example of like, well, you know, what game does this well? It's like, well, Night in the Woods does it well. Night in the Woods is, you know, something happened at college in May, had to come home. And, you know, now she has to interact with her friends mm-hmm. and her family and, you know, the town she grew up in and all of this. Like, and it's just like, this, yeah, this is, this is, this is the mentally ill experience, mm-hmm. y'all. Like, mm-hmm. you know, having to decide, like, if you're going to go hang out with your friends and, like, you know, sometimes being like, you know, okay, yeah, I guess I'm awkward and weird because, you know, I am not, my, my, my brain's not the way everyone else's is. And then, oh, hey, your brains aren't the way everyone else's either. And, like, sometimes you form relationships they kind of, that are complicated mm-hmm. and weird around because of things like that. And, like, 
Night in the Woods definitely satisfies that kind of grounded, you know, realism understanding of what it's like to exist and be a part of a society with mental illness in a way. Um, I'm going to say in a way that no game. Does. I would agree with you. Well, it's like I mean, you even said in your Hellblade piece, like, and I think Hellblade does it, and I think a lot of games do it. Um mental illness exists in a vacuum you know what i mean it's like the character and like that's the same thing right. with um grease too is it's it, you don't actually like there's no interaction there and there's no um real relationship other than with yourself and like so many games make that the focus like it's all internal all the change is internal everything is you and like that's in my experience the worst way to heal <laughs> Like it is to be completely isolated and be like, okay, well, you know, I I have to be self-reliant I can rely on the beautiful way that my mind sees things and my sheer will and I can get past everything. Like it's bullshit. Um, And Night in the Woods is really refreshing because it turns that concept on its head. And actually I have a piece for that for rational passions that I'm writing about this um, right now, but it's, yeah, it's, it's different because it's not, necessarily celebrating like this internal journey as much as it's like being like hey like sometimes shit is rough but we still have other people around us to rely on who are impacted by this who are also going through this like i don't know yeah (laughs) well and it's it's um with with hellblade we have the like the sudden you know and this is this is also this is a criticism I do have of Sea of Solitude. Um it's the the tidy ending. Um yeah. mm. and yeah. with Night in the Woods, it's you know we don't get to the end of that and May's not suddenly like I'm totally fine with who my brain with what my mm-hmm. brain is doing and everything like that, and I'm cool and all my relationships are fixed and normal and perfect, and I'm gonna go grab life by the horns and make it my mm-hmm. bitch. No. May is kind of largely in the same mm-hmm. place at the end, as the beginning. That's one of the the yeah. shittiest things about, like, making these games about mental illness, basically, like, Hero's Journey type games. Like, that's not how mental illness works. <laughs> I wish it did, because then I wouldn't yeah. feel like every single fucking month I'm slipping again, <laughs> you know? Like, I reach a point and I'm like, okay, I'm good. Like, I can do this. I'm gonna, you know... I'm going to write this thing and I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to, you know, show up to this event that normally I would be too depressed to go to. And then you slip and like, that's life. And that's, yeah, it's a hard thing. Like recovery is nonlinear. Like, and I I get it because it is hard to model, model that in, you know, a media that is Mm -hmm. largely linear, you know, um, we we start at the beginning and we get to the end and then the game is over. And how do we know when we're satisfied? That's for Steam forums to tell us. <laughs> but um, I think that's why the puzzle platformer thing drives me so nuts because that's such a genre too that relies on the idea of progression and constant progression and like mm. achieving goals that stay achieved. Like you don't backslide in a puzzle platformer and like. Right. And that's all they are. And, like, even the Massacre stuff, like, you're still, like, that probably makes it worse to me just because, like, there is that, like, such adrenaline rush of succeeding continuously that, like, I don't think is reflective of, like, what actually happens to people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, like, I think, like, 
you know, bringing up the like the hero's quest is looks really important because like you know okay we we can attribute that back to joseph campbell um and really he's just basically cribbing largely from young um and like young has the whole tarot progression blah 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 and the 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 process of individuation and things like that and they are kind of these kind of you know not entirely equal mirror progressions to the hero quest where you are on this kind of journey through kind of the darkness of the soul and and and, and psyche and you come out one end and mm-hmm. you are altered it's like okay and like metaphorically i get that but also the thing that like the hero's quest doesn't take into account and none of these game makers seem to take into consideration is that even jung acknowledges the kind of yes the steps in theory as laid out in the book are linear because but like the individual processes are non-linear. We kind of do achieve, you know, plateaus of being at certain points, but then we also do slip down. And then we do go to like, you know, kind of jump ahead and then step back. And then we, this is the process by which we do it. You know, even with a psychoanalysis, like just looking at it purely from a psychoanalytic technique, like you move through stages in recovery, but like it really, the stages are, only discrete because we needed a taxonomy. Um, it's not, you know, oh, like Nick, look, you 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 got your green belt in <laughs> mental wellness this you know month. Congratulations! Let's go get you a trophy and a Dairy Queen Blizzard. Um, that's not how it works. But like, that's how we end up putting it in games. Like, one of my big criticisms of Hellblade was, it was like oh, look, you read some psychoanalysis Wikipedia entries, and now we are literally modeling that throughout the game in these different phases. And, like, God, there's, like, this scene where Senua confronts her shadow in the mirror. I was just like, are you kidding Mm me? Yeah, honestly, if you're doing the same shit that Kingdom Hearts is doing, you have to do better. (laughs) Yeah, because Kingdom Hearts does it better. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, like, God, like, you know, Kingdom Hearts does this better than most of the games about mental illness. Dark Souls does it better. Um, God. Um, what was I just thinking of? It was, like, actually, like, the other day that did a really good job. Uh, fuck, I lost it. Do you want to know my weird uh, mental illness game that I'll throw out? (laughs) Yes, Jess. Okay, so... Yes. And while it does have its uh, share of problematic shit, uh, I would say The Sims. (laughs) The Sims, to a certain extent, does does it a little bit better than a lot of other games. Um, I remember uh, Gita Jackson wrote for Kotaku the whole thing about how they still have the insane trait, which is, like, really fucked up and awful. But taking that out of there, <laughs> um, I don't know, just I guess like the the moodlets and um, kind of having to do the routine tasks and, and the social interaction aspect of it while also managing like your mood. And it's gotten to the point where like, you know, different interactions kind of cause different things because it's, it's just 
gotten smarter with each game. Um, I don't know. So like that to me, it's kind of like a weird therapeutic tool, I guess. <laughs> like I've I've used The Sims when I'm really depressed. Um, yeah. No, The Sims is like it's definitely one of those games where it's just kind of like there is kind of a a, a like side effect modeling of yeah it's like it's a weird one and its impact on your life there because i mean i even know sometimes i'm just like you know when i played the sims and it was just like look bitch you do not have i do not have it in me to walk your ass upstairs to take Mm -hmm. a shower right now you need to go and eat something because you're about to die from exactly something we will take care of this shower when we can but right now you need to be stinky I'm I'm glad you get it because yeah I would say The Sims is totally like yeah, it allows I don't know it's like a way to kind of you can project how you're feeling onto it you know um, yeah that's, that's the other thing is like The Sims is is definitely one of those games that I know like I would say a solid ninety percent of the people I know who play The Sims they're definitely playing it you know. <laughs> At least as an adjunct to their own like yeah, therapy. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, it gives you a sense of control, I guess. You know what I mean? It breaks down yeah. life. It makes it simple. <laughs> so. Well, and like, there are times in The Sims when like you really just yeah. nail it. Like you're just like, yes, you know, my my sleep meter is doing good. I can just I have time to hop in the shower. Okay, my hygiene's great. I have all the friends you know, I need for that promotion. Let's go. <laughs> what that used to be like that's actually not a thing anymore but it used to be like in the sims like two like you you like your promotion requirements you would need yeah. a certain number of friends <laughs> that's fucked up see my experience with the sims was definitely um god um really the my, the ultimate story is um i inherited uh, a sims neighborhood sims mm. two yeah, um, when my ex and I split up, and she moved out, and she had modeled like me, her girlfriend, um, a couple of our professors, and like some other people, and um, it was a whole big fucked up situation at the time, with, like two years of hell. But anyway. Um, she had modeled all this, and then I went in, and I was just like, oh, let me see what's going on in the neighborhood. And, like, I didn't even touch anything, but I turned it on, and I watched her sim, like, wake up, walk downstairs, and decide she was going to put, like, microwave. Um, she was going to grill microwave mac and cheese <laughs> in the middle of the kitchen. And, like, caught herself and the entire house on fire. And I just sat there watching it. And I was just like, yes, you are that bitch. <laughs> and I felt That's great. That's amazing. But, like, it's, it's funny because I think, like, you know, um, definitely some of the best games of, that, like, tackle mental illness. Even when they do so kind of directly. Because um, I think um, I actually had, like, a long conversation with my partner the other night about it. And they were like no, no, it's a game about mental illness. And I'm like, well, like, yeah, but the pitch is, and he's like, they were, they were like, no, it's a game about mental illness. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, but even though, like, it was not, you know, very touted as, like, here's the big mental illness game, the way Gree and Celeste and all the other games were. Um, 
it is very much entirely a game about mental illness because it impacts every facet of what that game is talking about. Like, and I think like, you know, like the other big game that does that for me, like Dark Souls 2. Dark Souls 1 to a lesser degree, but like, uh, I think about like Majula and mental illness and kind of like my friends. Like, I'm just like, yeah, we are all in this derelict town just trying to hold it together independently and together. And we all kind of just like are doing what we can in Majula. And so a lot of games, I think, that are effective do so directly, indirectly. No, that makes complete sense. I totally understand what you mean. Yeah, I definitely think that the ones that just incorporate it kind of as part of, like, life, as opposed to, like, it being a hook, Mm -hmm. are the ones that, like, tend to be better. Um, I know, like, horror is so bad about mental illness, but, like, one game that super stuck with me and, like, really fucked me up, which was great because I played it on a stream, so, like, people, like, watched me, like, kind of just shatter on screen um kate um uh, tremblay who i think works for ubisoft now um she made a twine game called halfway to the lamppost and it's like not necessarily a mental illness game but it deals with like trauma and like ptsd and stuff while also being like a horror game about kids and like reading through her descriptions of like her abusive acts and stuff was just like halfway me being like oh wow this is so real and raw and good and like i've never connected with something like this and also it was like halfway sending me through like fucking flashbacks um which was like a weird experience but it didn't like it sucked in the moment but like i've not connected with a thing that does that in the same way in that same way before and like i don't know there's something about like not having to have it be a gimmick or like a mechanic and just like getting to talk about it in a frank way that's like a lot more powerful to me, I guess. And I don't really know. There was, like, more of a point there, I feel like, but I don't know. Well, and, like, I'm thinking about, like, you know, um, I'm thinking about, like, you know, I play Dark Souls quasi-therapeutically, um, which sounds ridiculous, but, like, one, one, I do get to check in and see how I'm doing, um, because... If I'm if I'm not doing real great at Dark Souls, it's gonna show. Or if I'm not doing really great in my life, it's gonna show up in my playing Dark Souls. And in terms of like how I get frustrated and when I get frustrated, less so than like my performance. Um, but like, it's also kind of like a way of it's like here is a space that I can you know. I can in, I can intuit, I can learn to understand it, and I can figure it out. And, like, I f- almost feel like reader response is, like, the more interesting aspect of games with regard to mental illness and, these, and, like, readings of recovery and trauma and things like that within, like, from by, by players is more useful and more interesting than just a direct, like, here's my game about trauma. Here's my game about PTSD. I was depressed and I made this game. 
um, about depression. It's like, okay, cool. Um, because every time I've ended up playing like a lot of those games, I rarely feel connected to it. Like even with Sea of Solitude, I got what what felt right to me was this sense of this game understands that even when I feel like I'm a monster, I'm not actually. Or that when I feel like I'm a monster, it's okay. That's just a feeling because of my trauma and my mental illness. And that that's okay. It is passable. Um, and like, you know, it's going to sit with me while I go through that feeling. But the actual kind of expression of it, like playing through that game, I was, I largely felt like I was just doing a very mechanical, psychoanalytical criticism reading of it and just kind of like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. I got these parts. I see how it's connected here. Uh-huh, yeah, I did that in therapy too. All right, okay, cool, we're done. Um you know, with Hellblade, there were some moments that I thought were effective. Um, I thought, actually, I thought the voices were effective in Hellblade. Um, because I was like, oh, hey, this does kind of very much, to me, uh, tap into my own kind of internal chorus um, and intrusive thoughts. So, like, that worked. Um, but largely, I was just kind of like, yeah, uh-huh, okay, she got the trauma from the dad and then from the Vikings, and now she's upset about her boyfriend. Okay, I get it, you know. And then we're going to do the descent into the abyss, and then we're going to come out of the abyss and the reconciliation with the father and then the mother. Okay, yeah, she's really her mother. I get it. Okay, cool, now we're done. And her voices are good friends now and not a, a burden. Um, so, like, a lot of games... I when there they are that kind of you know direct mental illness narrative i end up feeling just very mechanical about them whereas games that aren't um i find a much bigger space in which to see myself and make readings about mental illness and recovery and existence in them um uh, my partner wrote a piece for Capsule Crit about Flame in the Flood, which is a roguelike about a roguelike about you know rafting with a dog, and like they like completely tapped it into like their trauma and their recovery, and it like that's almost kind of the thing that I'm more interested in games at this point with regard to mental illness than you know another depression quest or another sea of solitude or like even like another night in the woods. Um, yeah. That's what I got. That's my thought. No, you're good. Yeah. That's like, that's the thing that I've been thinking about kind of as we've been having this whole conversation is like going back to that, like who is the audience for this? Like who is this for? Cause I know like when I'm in my bad spots and I do feel up to playing games, I don't want to play a game that's like, oh, hey, look at me, the depressed fucking anxious person or whatever. Like, I want the things that pull me away from that. And so it seems like, I don't know, there's something to, like, who who is benefiting from this or, like, who is meant to be understanding and seeing this because it's certainly not fucking me. 
And, like, if there's a game that could replicate me waking up every day fucking nauseous and, like, vomiting in my sink before I go to work, I don't really think I want to play it. Mm. Like, I don't know. There's something about, like, the recovery aspect, yeah, and, like, finding ways to pull yourself out that's more interesting to me than, like, immersing in it and being like, this is how you get better, but then, like, it doesn't feel better. It's just, it's overly simplified in all of these games, and, like, it's to the yeah. detriment of anybody who's actually going through it. <laughs> yeah, like, that's why, like, you know, I mean, like, games like Dark Souls, they, they, you know, they tap into all the tropes, the corruption and insanity and, you know, like, various aspects of loss of control and claustrophobia and all of these things but like they're not sitting there wrapping it in a dark souls is a psychological like you know like trip through like the the darkest parts of the psyche it's just like now this is just a fucked up kingdom y'all like shit's shit's real and i'm just like yeah shit is real like that it do be like lord ran sometimes yeah no exactly um like I've definitely had days when my apartment was like Blight Town. <laughs> and you know what? I got through Blight Town and I can get through <laughs> Yeah. No, it's hard. It's like I don't know. And I guess that there's just like a balancing act because you know, we kind of talked about and it was one of the points that we had on our little our little note sheet before doing this episode. Like is it better to make the game more concrete and realistic? um when talking about mental illness or is it better to have things that are kind of more like artistic or conceptual um and it's i guess like you know it kind of just exists in the middle yeah well i mean i guess it it depends what your purpose is and what your like hellblade because it came from a place of edgelord fantasy bullshit originally and could not escape the gravity of that and it was serving these two masters of like i want to be a history text but i also want to talk about mental mm-hmm. illness and then but also i'm a puzzle platformer with weak souls like combat which everyone says but i never saw it it just felt like bad combat yeah, it wasn't that. um i guess it felt kind of like it had weight to it but um but like I don't know who that game is serving. Um, I don't know who the intended audience was. Um, I don't feel like it was me, certainly. Um, but I also don't feel like it was like, you know, my neurotypical friend mm-hmm. who, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. know what depression is, mm-hmm. like, you know, who just loves like, you know, pretty mm-hmm. video games. Like mm-hmm. like I'm just like, I don't know what anyone is supposed to get out of that if they don't bring their own personal experience that can't really be anticipated by the developers. Well, that's one of the confusing things I think about Hellblade. Like, like I said, I, I really like Hellblade, but it is, it is confusing. Like who, who the intended audience was because the game starts off with a warning saying like, Hey, if you have these things, this is probably going to like be kind of triggering because this game is all about these things. And it's like, okay, well then like, like why <laughs> you know what i mean like it's like it's like these are the people that you you want to play the game you would think or like the people this this would resonate with and then right at the beginning you're like by the way prepare yourself because you're going to feel really shitty yeah and like 
so like I want to like actually kind of want to talk about that for just a hot second because that really pissed me yeah. off like from the drop because it did not in any way feel like an actual content mm. warning or even a content note. Mm. It was straight up like posturing. It was like, yo, we're going to get real because we're real about real stuff. And like, you're going to experience shit, man. And it's like, fuck you. This yeah. is marketing. This is marketing the same way your featurette is marketing the same way the hellblade cares.com or whatever the fuck that was. Because, like, they had to, like, and first of all, their whole, like, screen was, like, with the all black with the edgelord font. And I was just like, okay, fuck you. You put your content warning in this impossible to read font on a black background. And, like, then you had this, like, you know, if you experience symptoms of psychosis, go to hellbladecares.com. And it's like, you go to hellbladecares.com or whatever the fuck it was. Because I honestly can't remember. But it was something like that. Um, again, like the all black website with the edgelord font. And it's basically put in your like location, your country and state and city, I think they might have. And it gave you a link to a hotline. Mm. And it was just like, like yeah. the basic suicide hotline in your country. And it was just like, fuck you. You did. You literally did this as a PR move. This is not something that you did. You did not care about the people that would be impacted yeah. playing your game. Or if you did, you then did literally, like, kind of the shittiest, you went about the shittiest way possible of, like, expressing that? Yeah, I mean, it's the typical thing to where it's, like, I don't doubt that they care, you know what I mean? But they care in the same way that somebody who doesn't understand this shit shares the suicide hot link whenever a celebrity dies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's that, it's that level of care. Yeah. And it's, like, if you're gonna make this game, if you're going to emotionally invest yourselves and all of these people in this product and you want this to be like i don't know i guess like a a new benchmark for like what games should do and talking about mental health then like fucking like live live up to that like own that yeah yeah so i get that it's it was a it's a very like lazy effort <sighs> mental health is fun <laughs> It's some shit, y'all. <laughs> it's some shit. Um, uh, I don't. I think the only other thing I kind of wanted to talk about, going back to what Dia was saying about the Jungian stuff, was just whenever I think of that, I always think of Persona, and Persona's not like technically a mental health game, but especially Persona Four is like ties super into like my frustration with mental health depictions in games in the other way of like. There's always this narrative of like, oh, well, if you can come to face your mental illness and like accept it, then you can like be a whole person and move on with your life. And like Persona 4 is obviously like all about that down to the fucking tarot cards. But like Celeste does it too, where like I haven't played Celeste, but I know I've heard mm -hmm. like the whole point is like you get to the top of the mountain and you have to accept like, oh, the evil version, like the depression version of you is still part of you. And like you have to accept that and come to terms with mm -hmm. it and whatever. And it's like on the one hand, like, yeah. You have to accept that, like, stuff is going on with your brain when you're mentally ill. But, like, that doesn't make you a whole person. <laughs> like, me being mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to therapy and I'm going to a psychiatrist, like, in a month is not helping me now. Like, and that's, mm -hmm. like, it's a good thing to do to start a process. But, like, I don't know. That depiction is always just super frustrating to me. 
it's 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 really weird. Like um, I was thinking Persona, so I'm glad you thought it, brought it up because um, like the Persona games are so so weird because they're 100% super status quo games. Like I know everyone's like, oh yeah, they're like like real quirky anime, blah blah blah, and it's like no, these are very con- they're very conservative games. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like um and it's you know it's interesting because like they do they want to play with young so hard um and then they just kind of like really phony yeah. <laughs> yeah and like you know i remember like persona 5 where like they almost get close to slightly acknowledging that these personas really aren't like they're not actually persona like People keep calling up their persona, and it's like, well, no, because you're not using this to engage in, like, interactions with your classmates or your family or all of the other social actions that you perform in this game. Like, mm-hmm. you literally just, just take it out to whop on some, like, monsters, mm-hmm. um, which I always thought was, like, a huge, like, misfire and that it would actually be much more interesting if you had to, like, really just, like, actually, like, engage in persona management in the social aspect of the game. That actually would be really cool. (laughs) Well, especially because in the social aspect, they, they like, they like point a finger at it, but they don't do anything with it. Cause like, you know, like you'll have like on or somebody will be like, Oh, like they're the lover persona. If you have like a high rank with her, your lover personas that you have in your deck will like be better. But it's like, there should be a mechanic in the game that's, like, forcing you to, like, earn that. It shouldn't just be, like, oh, On likes me, therefore my fucking mm-hmm. pixie is good. Right, because, like, if, you know, it's like, okay, you you, you, you have a pixie in your in your loadout right now, and so you can go and get, like, a boost with, like, you know, hanging out with your lover friends. Um, and, but, like, your interactions never change. You know, you're, you're not limited by you know, by, by the, the tarot that you have kind of equipped or the persona that you're currently using. So like, and I, I recognize that would be a much bigger, much more complicated game. And maybe they'd have to chill the fuck out on their 5 billion hour long dungeons with like no save points. Um, but maybe that would make it a better game. Um, but like, yeah, like it's, you know, this this playing at psychoanalysis is just like really just like bizarre the way it manifests in uh the persona franchise um like even thinking about um the very first persona persona revelations um like the main the the kind of the main plot line is you end up basically finding that this one girl has um her, her psyche is basically fractured and you have to basically reunite her id ego and super ego because she controls time and space. And that's why the world is fucked up now. It's like, Oh wow. The city got fucked up. What happened? Oh, it turns out that girl was like severely traumatized and her ego split apart from her super ego and her id. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> But, like, that somehow managed to be more interesting than whatever Persona 4 was doing with the, mm-hmm. oh, your friends got problems. Help them resolve them by beating them up and until they come to terms with 
you yeah. beating up their shadow? What? Yeah. Like, and it's also like it's also weird because it's like, no, that's not. You're not supposed to just beat the shit out of your shadow. Well, and it's like weird too because like <laughs> it kind of it contradicts itself because like the whole thing is like you know you go through. God, I'm gonna get four and five mixed up now. I'm like just blending both of them together. But um, I mean, the Persona team did. Yeah, true. Um, just as a fake Persona. Fan. I know. Um, but no, it's like you you go through what? It's still their palaces in four, right? I'm not crazy, right? Like they're well, they don't use that word. It's I don't their think, TV but stations. It's, yeah, but it's it's like you go through their level, I guess, right? Yeah. And you fight yeah. their shadow like form. Yeah, shit. Um, you know, you fight their, f- and then like, but the whole thing is, you have to embrace the dark part of yourself in order to move forward. <laughs> So it's like confront it, beat the shadow of it, accept it, move forward. And it, I mean, I guess like that's kind of life a little bit, but it is kind of contradictory in practice, like when you're doing it in the game. And I agree, like Caitlin, you kind of brought up the whole like accepting, like this games constantly have the message of like, and this goes with like the hero's journey to kind of ties all this back in together of like, you need to accept the dark parts of yourself because they're beautiful and move on. And it's like anybody who's going through that, like, I don't know. It's like. Well, and especially because I think that like at least Persona 4 originally started doing something interesting where like the first time you go into the midnight channel or whatever and you see this, I don't remember, the first boy, Yusuke? Uh, Yosuke. Yosuke? Yosuke in uh, 4, Yusuke in Why did they have a Yosuke (laughs) and then a Yusuke? That's fucking stupid. Um. But when you first see his, like, shadow, there's, like, a whole thing about, like, him freaking out that, like, another person in his life saw that. Yeah. Like, saw that part of yeah. him. And that's fucking interesting. Uh-huh. Like, that whole scene of him, like, feeling so fucked up and kind of violated that someone saw that part of him is so much more interesting than anything else they do with it. And they never capitalize it on it with him or with any other mm-hmm. character. Well, like, and it's so funny, too, because, like, that's the one time they kind of really actually, like, pin down Jung the way they want to. Like, it's like, yes, your shadow. It's the things that you don't want to acknowledge yourself that you don't like about yourself. And you also are really scared shitless anyone else will ever see. Mm-hmm. Good job. You know, and then, but then, like, from there, it's just like, you never fulfilled this. And now we have to have the bad, the the bad we are am I gay narrative and the like everything else like the one thing Persona Four does well I think is that it's the first Persona and really the last Persona that isn't um, cool city kids mm-hmm. because all the other Persona games are about cool rich kids in the city more or less mm-hmm. and like this one's just like nah man we're on the out in the country in the suburbs and it sucks and we're weird and no one really likes us and we've got issues and it's Mm -hmm. like okay that's not something you see all the time now that's like one of the most frustrating things like about persona in general i i I like persona 4 a lot um and and 5 too i haven't played the earlier ones i need to get on that but like it's so frustrating because they approach interesting things so much and then the second that it gets real they backpedal faster than i've ever seen anyone backpedal and it's it's like really <laughs> i don't know yeah i i couldn't i couldn't make it through 4 and i i i uninstalled 5 and then i did the thing where i hid from my library <laughs> Like, 
I haven't hit a lot of games from my library, but Persona 5 is one of them. I I liked 5 better than 4, but that was mostly just like a tone thing, because mm. Persona 4 is creepy. Persona 4 is a creepy game. Yeah. Like, but I still will never get over people in my mentions after I posted that into the Spider article about Persona, and everyone, all these people were like, clearly you didn't finish it, because On is, On is totally not problematically depicted, and I was like, uh-huh, sure, Jan, okay. Uh, yeah, on is... there's no way you can save that character. Like, Which sorry, because she was good. I like on. Yeah, people don't understand that. Like, it's because I mean, you talked to me before you posted that whole thing, and like we like reached the same conclusion with her. Whereas, like, she like represents like something that like it's the same shit. It's the backpedaling. It's like she could be set up to be a really interesting character because like the whole thing they try to do with her is be like, hey, no, she's more than a sex object. But then they spend the rest of the game just still treating her as a sex object. Yep. So it's like you I don't know. Like I get that like it's implied and maybe was the intent that she's supposed to be like the you know this this woman who like proves like hey you can be sexy but you can also be all of these other things it's not necessarily just like sexy and smart you know what i mean it's like sexy and like a little bit clumsy and kind of has like a good sense of humor and kind of has that leader you know what i mean she's supposed to be like a different kind of female character but instead you have she just falls into the trap because the they just let her frustrating yeah and also also in her the 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 pinnacle of her her day-to-day arc is modeling is hard i'm pretty but maybe i don't want to do this okay which is it's frustrating because it's like they're just kind of recycling risa's thing with being a singer yeah you know like risa's whole thing is being a superstar is hard maybe i want to be a normal girl yeah, I love at least at least with Risa, like all of her stuff is tied to fame though. Meanwhile, Ana's is like, I went through horrible sexual trauma and my best friend tried to kill herself. But <laughs> no. you know, I'm working out in the park with my friend who might be my boyfriend is is gonna fix it. I'm gonna be good. Also, God, Persona 5's handling of like sexual trauma in Eel. school is just Eel. so just what the fuck? Yup. Yeah. Yep. It was I when that when that first started unraveling, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is like not what I was expecting from fucking Persona." Okay, like I'm intrigued. Like, sure. And then I was like, "Nope, you fucked it up. Mm. You ruined it. Everything is bad. I will never ever have any faith in you ever." That's again. the fucking thing with Persona. That's what I'm saying. Is like they they like get so close. Like they do something interesting, and I'm like, "Oh my god, are you like?" Because for instance, like the whole like the sexual assault like storyline, and even like like I. There are some ways, like, I kind of, like, identify with On, you know what I mean? Like, I've gone through similar things, and, like, I'm like, okay, this is, like, interesting, this is cool, what are they gonna do? And then, like, it's, they just fucking fumble. <laughs> they always fumble. I, I like the games, but it's just, I'm just, I'm so tired of the fumbling, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's really funny, because, like, I never am, like, surprised by Persona, because Space Hitler shows up in two. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, uh, yeah. I've only played four and five, so I only have those two as yeah, okay. Me too. Yeah. All right. Um, three is actually a really charming, wonderful game. I want to play really three. Like three. Um, that would it, require me like digging my Vita out. So. Dig your Vita out and play three. It's fucking great. No, the art and music in three both seem stellar, and like I really want to play it. 
And also, yes. it's much more enjoyable to do the visual novel aspects of the game as a fucking visual novel, and rather than having to, like, oh, I guess I have to remember how to walk to the fucking whatever person I'm supposed mm. to meet. It's a lot better if you could just tap. God, yeah, um, that would actually be real nice. But um, it's got the best soundtrack, and um, uh, it's actually, like, has a pretty interesting storyline. Um, the dungeon grinding does, like, it's even as someone who really likes dungeon crawlers, the the actual dungeons in Persona Three still suck because it's just like four rooms. How do they fit them together to make a floor for a hundred floors, basically? Um, um, but it's you know it's spread out over a seventy hour game, so you know you can you can do ten floors in like no time. But Persona Two is the wackiest. Um, because you bring out, uh, there's rumors and like, uh, rumors become real. And so you get to start rumors to like kind of change, influence the game state, but also other things are starting to become real too, like Hitler in UFOs and, um, some Cthulhu shit happens. It's all over the place. It's real wacky. Um, but I also really like Persona 1. Persona 1 was a, like a straightforward Shin Megami Tensei game, to be honest, with high school kids. Um, but it was fun. And it was a game where you everyone got a machine gun. In addition <laughs> to their... So you had, like, you could shoot with range with your gun. Because, um, like, Persona 5, like, you know, you got the gun only with that one. It was just, like... Hey, all these kids have like you know assault rifles, and they can summon weird spirits inside of them, and also they've got like swords and shit. Okay, let's overthrow an evil corporation. That was Persona One. Like it's kind of great. Yeah, I need to go back and play the uh, earlier ones. Like at least play three and. Dip your toes into, if you have a Vita, the, oh god, is it a PlayStation Portable remake? Yeah, I think there was a remake for of part one of Persona 2, because we got it split into two parts. And we did not get the two parts evenly localized in America. Um, so, like, part two came over, is still available as a PlayStation 1 classic, and part one is a Vita, or as a P- PSP remake port. Yeah, I actually didn't even realize like it was available, so I will have to check it on my Vita. Yeah, no, like, they're good times. I have to, my shoulder button on my Vita is all fucked up. I don't even know if it can play games, but we'll find out. <laughs> Man. Well, I think that, <laughs> does that wrap us up, Caitlin? I, I think so. Unless anybody has any last dying point they want to get out. I think I'm good. Yeah. I'm... Oh, wait. I got one. <laughs> Scott Benson, if you're listening to this, I really appreciate what you did with Night in the Woods, but fuck that dungeon crawler. Fuck it. <laughs> into the sun. <laughs> it's not good for my mental health. <laughs> I only played like five minutes of it because I'm very bad at dungeon crawlers and I started it and I was like, nope, this is not for me. 
What game? Sarah and I are going through it. Sarah, Sarah got like got like all the way through it, and I was just like, "Fuck Jesus. this! I hate this!" And then it's like, "Oh no, you got to go back through it again for the other achievement." And it's like, Fuck, Scott Benson, <laughs> I know what city you live in. <laughs> Come just go knock on every door directly. Just tweet him with the time code. Be like, "Hey, there's a special message from Dia here just for you." <laughs> I've definitely tweeted. It's got like we're we're mutuals on Twitter. So I've definitely been like, "Hey, you know this thing that I'm doing right now? Fuck you." <laughs> it's and Scott's been like, "Look, it's like Dark Souls," and I'm like, "No, fuck you." <laughs> so I think that's gonna do it for us this time. Uh. Dia, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dia Lacina, D-I-A-L-A-C-I-N-A. And um, you'll be able to find me on Paste here and there and at or capsulecrit.com um, in the near future, most likely. I promise. <laughs> we'll, have an, we'll have an issue this summer. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Capsulecrit. I need to get summertime merch, though, because I bought a sweatshirt with the Capsule Crit art, and it's great, but now it's, like, way too mm. fucking hot. That's why you just always stay inside. I thought it was funny that you got the sweatshirt, and you didn't tell me, and then one day you just posted a selfie, and I'm like, oh, shit! <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to just be like, yeah, I bought merch! But I was like, but I'll wear it and take pictures in it. That was this summer, too, I think. It was the day that it was, like, it was freezing here in June. I don't know why. It was dumb. Anyway, uh, Jess, where can people find you? People can find me over on Twitter at Jessicogs, and that is J-E-S-S-A-C-O-G-S. And that's pretty much the only place I exist, so just, just find me there. <laughs> that's it. Just only exists on Twitter. Not even in real life much. It's just, It's pretty much just Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Same. Um, and you can find me at CG and ARs on Twitter. And from there, I have a pin tweet with all of the other uh, varying levels of ridiculous bullshit that I do. Um, Palin Around is a product of Uppercut, which you can find on all social media at UppercutCrit and UppercutCrit.com. If you want to hang out with the Uppercut crew and our various friends, you can join our Discord server. The link is in the episode description. And if you like the show, uh, please be sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, but please make it iTunes. Hell yeah. Welcome to RPG Design Friends, a podcast where we critically talk about tabletop role-playing games, their mechanics, design philosophy, and the scene surrounding it all. Each episode, we have two guests, designers, podcasters, and other experts, to discuss a topic within TTRPGs. It is important to be critical and analyze the stuff we enjoy, and we're glad to do it here at RPG Design Friends.